chapter twenty three of the subjection of isabel carnaby this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the subjection of isabel carnaby by ellen thornycroft fowler chapter twenty three a second gabriel just at first charlie was tempted to fall into his old mistake of making himself into a doormat for fabia to walk upon and thus once more upsetting the apple-cart which had so recently regained its equilibrium but supported by isabel's constant encouragement he nobly struggled against the old man that was in him and bravely endeavoured to put on the new man of whom he himself so heartily disapproved and his efforts were amply rewarded by his wife's increasing devotion to him as she said one day to isabel when he looks particularly adoring with that old dog-like expression of abject devotion i just shut my eyes and see his face as it appeared that day in mount street and then i worship him more than ever she kept the riding-whip as a sacred treasure and fondled it at intervals the humour of which arrangement strongly appealed to mrs seaton i think it is perfectly fascinating of you to cherish a horsewhip as a relic she remarked it is so much more original than flowers and letters and ordinary rubbishy things of that kind i have got hidden away somewhere goodness knows where a spray of roses and maidenhair that paul once gave me before we were engaged and now the roses look like scraps of worn-out boot-leather and the fern like dried essence of mint sauce but a relic like a horsewhip never grows old it will be as fresh a hundred years hence as it is to-day and as full of meaning fabia laughed yes the meaning is fairly obvious that's one of the beauties of it flowers want such a lot of letter-press to explain their special fragrance ben jonson had to write a whole song to expound to the uninitiated that his rosy wreath smelt not of itself but thee and my aforesaid rosy wreath smells neither of myself nor of paul but of decayed vegetation but a horsewhip requires no explanation it smells of leather and speaks for itself and he who runs may read as may also he who runs away you would not have liked a whip as a relic isabel you know you would not it would be to you a symbol of all that you most disliked in your husband isabel sighed perhaps not but i wish i'd something more interesting to treasure up than dried herbage and i don't even know where that is it is so fearfully commonplace to express love by means of roses and so original to express it by means of a horsewhip not so original among the lower classes i fancy perhaps not but the whole heart of the great middle class offers itself to its respective young women by the token of roses and maidenhair and it is the love of the great middle class that is so respectable and so dull but my dear isabel i thought that you prided yourself upon belonging to the great middle class and upon being absolutely normal and commonplace there was a mischievous gleam in fabia's eyes as she spoke oh i forgot so i do i'm glad you remind me of it to tell the truth it is one of my favourite poses 
it was one of isabel's many virtues that she was always ready to laugh at herself now i come to think of it i'm very pleased that the romance of my life is embalmed in the absolutely ordinary and normal form of a spray of roses and maidenhair and i shall set about finding it at once and treasuring it accordingly though i can't for the life of me remember where i've put it fabia was right the submission which was delightful to her was difficult to isabel the eastern nature loved to submit the western nature found it hard to do so yet both did it in the spirit if isabel sometimes failed in the letter and each in her own way fulfilled the apostolic injunction and now fabia no longer grumbled at the length of charlie's anecdotes on the contrary she listened from beginning to end laughing and applauding at the right moments as a good wife should even in the story of mrs gaythorne and the harvest thanksgiving she murmured responses of the correct sort at the correct places never omitting one it is always amusing as well as profitable to see a wifely wife listening to her husband's stock anecdotes the recital becomes a sort of litany wherein he takes the part of the parson and she that of the parish clerk he pauses for her responses and she utters them almost before he has time to pause and thus gives the lead to the rest of the congregation she is not enthusiastic not too much surprised or too much amused that she leaves for those of the audience if there be any such who have never heard the tale before she does not laugh herself she merely shows others when to laugh in short she uses a mental tuning fork and starts the tune for others to sing and she generally affords the same official support to the reciter of the anecdote as the clerk affords to his parish priest at the end of july the gaythornes duly migrated to their country house and there found mrs carr and her daughter-in-law pursuing the even tenor of their way uncheered by any news of gabriel it seemed indeed as if the lost rector were blotted out of existence and as if that passing glimpse in the parisian theatre were the last that would ever be seen of him by those who had known him in his former state of existence janet was very calm very resigned and her love for her husband stood the test of time and absence remaining as firm and devoted as ever she carried the art of perfect wifehood to a point not attained by fabia or by isabel they loved and honoured and obeyed men who would only be obeyed in spite of themselves men who freely and chivalrously offered the submission and devotion which they had the right to demand men who in spite of or rather perhaps on account of their divine right of kingship always rendered to the consort the special honour and the higher place the theory of wifely submission might be naturally acceptable to fabia and naturally unacceptable to isabel they approached the question from the opposite sides of two hemispheres but the practice of the thing was simply child's play where such men as paul seaton and charlie gaythorne were concerned but with poor janet it was different she had sworn allegiance to a monarch who had vacated his throne as soon as he had the right to occupy it 
she owed her submission to a king who had flung away his crown the moment after it was planted upon his brow yet her fealty remained unaltered her loyalty unchanged she was married to a husband who had apparently repudiated her without the slightest reason for so doing and yet her wifely devotion was as deep and absorbing as it had been on her marriage day she was prepared should gabriel return to her to welcome him back as if nothing had happened and to love and to cherish him as tenderly as ever asking no questions and uttering no reproaches and should he never return to her to go mourning for him all the days of her life and to go down to the grave honouring and respecting his memory and then it came to pass that a great change came o'er the spirit of janet's dream for her there was a new heaven and a new earth so new and so wonderful that for a time sorrow and sighing fled away and her former miseries were forgotten in the middle of august her baby was born and she touched the high-water mark of human happiness and entered into the earthly paradise that paradise which was opened to woman after her banishment from eden and the gates whereof have never yet been closed true those gates are still guarded by the twin cherubim sorrow and suffering whose fiery swords pierce to the very bones and marrow but they are not impregnable and those blessed among women who win through those fiery barriers and reach the other side find themselves resting at the foot of the tree of life which grows in the very midst of the paradise of god to janet's delight the baby was a boy and her mother-in-law shared her joy for mrs carr was one of the people who considered that the world was made for men only and that girls and women were mere padding to bear a son was in mrs carr's mind the height of feminine honour and glory to bear a daughter only one degree more creditable than being an old maid it is not an uncommon type and it came to perfection in the early victorian age mrs gaythorne was as early victorian as mrs carr but in this respect the two ladies fundamentally differed it was the grief of mrs gaythorne's life that she had never had a daughter to train up in the way that she herself had so ably and so firmly trod and she had abundant sympathy with the regret which the immortal aunt of david copperfield summed up in the expression your sister betsy trotwood even now mrs gaythorne's mind bristled with devices whereby charlie's sister if he had ever had one might have benefited the human race a son was all very well she admitted he could fight for his country and he could follow in his father's footsteps and step into his father's shoes but he could neither conduct a mother's meeting nor regulate a lady's needlework guild and it was no use pretending that he could yet duties such as these might and probably would have been ably fulfilled by his sister if only he had had one therefore mrs gaythorne never ceased to regret the absence of that amiable and efficient young lady 
therefore it followed that mrs gaythorne seriously objected to the sex of janet's baby and was the more deeply rooted in the objection which she experienced more or less towards every mother's son whose advent was chronicled in the first column of the times by the peculiar circumstances of the case in the first place she argued in her own mind it was far more difficult for a woman to bring up a son than a daughter without her husband's help and in the second another gabriel carr did not seem likely to make for the comfort of those concerned in him judging from his father's recent example but janet's happiness was complete god had given to her the desire of her heart a son to fill gabriel's place and to take gabriel's name and so she was content of course she could not fail now and again to be overpowered with longing for her husband to share this new bliss with her but she was one of those rare people who really and truly have faith in god the majority of us believe in him more or less so do the devils who believe and tremble but how many of us believe in him as the great controller of all things without whom not even a sparrow can fall to the ground and yet who calleth the stars by their names that not one faileth how many of us actually hold fast the truth that our times are in his hands and that nothing can happen to us save what is ordained and permitted by him if we really believed this what would become of all that worry and anxiety which burden our hearts and line our faces where would be our despair for the present or our doubts for the future if we believed with our hearts what we profess with our lips that all things work together for good to them that love him according to his promise we should mount up with wings like eagles and should walk and not faint but we do not really believe it every foreboding for the future every doubt every fear are so many contradictions of his word so many slurs upon his faithfulness and thus by our own limitations we limit the power of god and he cannot do many mighty works among us because of our unbelief if thou canst do anything have compassion upon us and help us so prayed the father of the boy possessed with the dumb spirit and so we are praying to-day and the answer is the same as it was then if thou canst believe all things are possible to him that believeth there is no limit to what christ can do to help us the only limit is in ourselves the words of jesus are still sounding in our ears according to your faith so be it unto you and it is unto us only according to our faith and therefore the result often falls short of what he is ready and willing to do on our behalf through our blindness and hardness of heart we cannot believe and so we miss the blessing that would otherwise be ours and forfeit our inheritance but janet carr was so rooted and grounded in the faith that all things are made by him and without him was not anything made that was made that she accepted all the orderings of her life as direct from him and therefore never chafed nor rebelled 
she was as certain that the cloud which had darkened her life had been sent by god as she was certain that the birds and the flowers were the works of his hands and she knew that all things were working together for her good however hard it might be just now to understand their why and their wherefore there was much consultation and discussion over the baby's name the fact that his mother had already settled it in no way interfering with the full expression of mrs gaythorne's views upon the subject if it had been a girl she remarked as she and mrs carr were sitting by janet's sofa it might have been called after me as usual she used the capital letter in speaking of herself i approve of children being named after their godparents janet had already asked mrs gaythorne to act as godmother that lady seemed so admirably fitted to renounce the devil and all his works on behalf of anybody or everybody so it might agreed janet but being a boy there are difficulties in the way i never heard of a boy being christened eliza neither did i my dear nor should i approve of such a thing i do not like boys to be christened by girls names it savours of popery there is nothing that shocks me more than to hear of roman catholic kings being called joseph mary and mixed names like that no replied janet demurely i agree with you that eliza is not a suitable name for a boy in fact i don't remember of ever hearing of even a roman catholic king's being christened eliza i do not recall one myself at the present moment but i dare say there are plenty if we only knew romanists are capable of anything here mrs carr joined in still dear mrs gaythorne i always considered eliza quite a protestant name so suggestive of good queen bess and the electress sophia of hanover and people of that kind and i almost think that martin luther's wife was called elizabeth if it wasn't catherine and there is nothing at all romanizing in the poetry of eliza cook mrs gaythorne was pleased at this complimentary reference to the name given to her by her godfather and godmothers in her baptism yes i think there is a good protestant sound about eliza and i thank heaven for it i should not have liked to bear a popish sounding name that is my only objection to mary to my mind it savours somewhat of roman catholicism even when applied to a woman oh no 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 dear mrs gaythorne pray do not say that mrs carr expostulated i must say it if i think it janet failed to see this necessity but to mrs gaythorne it was paramount mary is the most beautiful name in the world continued mrs carr i remember learning a poem when i was a girl which began in christian world mary the something wears i forget exactly what it was that she wore but i know it meant that mary is the most beautiful name in the world except edith and i really don't think it sounds at all popish unless you put the prefix bloody before it i don't indeed mrs gaythorne janet was not very strong so she utterly failed to conceal her amusement i don't remember ever to have heard of a child being christened bloody mary she remarked excepting the queen of that name emended mrs gaythorne i don't think that even she was christened anything but mary i fancy the other name was an accretion 
janet carr do not attempt to teach me history bloody mary was her name and bloody mary was her nature from my earliest childhood i have called her by no other name and i never shall this was conclusive so janet wisely dropped the subject if i had had a daughter remarked mrs carr i should have called her margaret after poor dear aunt susan i do not quite see that eveline how could you call her margaret after a woman who was named susan because poor dear aunt susan's name was susan margaret and margaret is so much the prettier name of the two and i think it is much nicer for a girl to have a pretty name than an ugly one if it is all the same to everybody and the relations equally pleased i think margaret is a sweet name in itself and madge or maggie so nice for her own family and intimate friends and not quite so stiff and stately being shorter for everyday use if i had been so blessed as to have a daughter said mrs gaythorne i should have called her maria after my eldest sister but you said it sounded popish mrs gaythorne janet could not resist this temptation i did nothing of the kind janet carr i said that mary did but they are the same name janet carr you are talking nonsense you might as well say that eliza and elizabeth are the same name so they are they cannot be because i was christened eliza after lady summerhill and my youngest sister was christened elizabeth after aunt elizabeth latimer and our parents could not possibly have called two children by the same name besides lady summerhill and aunt elizabeth latimer were totally different people in no way resembling each other this again was conclusive so janet once more wisely turned to a side issue well for my part i don't see that maria sounds more protestant than mary it does my eldest sister was named maria this was the most conclusive of all janet felt that to go on arguing in the face of this statement was beating the air so she desisted and she was named maria added mrs gaythorne by way of further proof of the protestant tendencies of the name as if any further proof were needed after aunt maria latimer who always lived in the near vicinity of our birthplace it was on the tip of janet's tongue to ask where that was but she checked herself it seemed such a proof of historical ignorance not to know mrs gaythorne's birthplace but we are wandering from janet's point mrs gaythorne went on the question to be now considered is what are we to call janet's baby he will be called gabriel after his father said janet she spoke very quietly but the two who listened realized that the matter was settled and that further discussion was useless so mrs gaythorne dropped the subject she knew her match and what is more she respected her match when she met it the weeks rolled on and each day led to the discovery of fresh perfections in the baby gabriel no one who has not watched the growth of a little child has any idea of the wonderful developments which are new every morning nor of the absorbing interests which such developments excite in the loving mind of the onlooker there is no interest more absorbing few as much so yet it is the fashion nowadays to scoff at the delights of the baby world and to pretend that modern women need wider fields of thought and occupation than the house and the nursery afford 
let the modern women scoff if they will but let them also remember that if they would have a foretaste of the millennium here and now they must put away for a time all the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of its riches and must slip aside into that magic fairyland which lies around all of us in our infancy but of which alas we soon lose the key so that we can go in and out by ourselves no more and they cannot do this unless a little child shall lead them it was a bitterly cold evening early in the new year mrs carr had gone to visit some friends in the neighbourhood of her old home leaving janet to the uninterrupted society of her baby and janet was happy in the new bliss that had come to her although sometimes her longing for her husband seemed almost more than she could bear but she had learnt to possess her soul in patience and to wait upon the lord and therefore as in the case with all those who have thus learnt to wait he inclined unto her and heard her calling suddenly the front door bell rang and as the one servant was upstairs and the other was out janet laid her baby down on the drawing-room sofa and went to open the door herself she thought it could not be anybody but mrs gaythorne or fabia at this late hour of the day and she did not want to keep either of them standing out in the cold but it was neither the one nor the other on the doorstep stood a tall man dressed in a light suit of clothes over which he wore a somewhat flashy top-coat with a velvet collar the sort of costume that would be worn by a fifth-rate actor or a member of the swell mob janet was a short woman and the hall at the rectory was but poorly lighted so that she saw the stranger's clothes before she saw his face which was in the shadow but as he stepped forward and the dim light from the hall lamp fell upon him what was her incredible joy and gladness to recognize in this showily dressed stranger her husband gabriel carr End of chapter twenty three